This is my favorite book from when I grew up. This or this? Now this is fun. So this is Bellingham. What is this? This is our sweet new girl. This is one thing I want you to know. Well, good morning, Sleep-In Service. It's great to see you, and uh, we're glad that you are actually uh, choosing to worship with us. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and I need you to ignore the bunny, at least for the first couple of minutes. I came to church last weekend and had the opportunity to hear Emily Jameson preach, and the beautiful thing was being with my family and actually hearing God. And I know many of you heard God too. Some of you had conversations with God for the very first time. I want to thank all those of you who sent me an email and described not only where God met you, but the words that he actually spoke to you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I want to invite you to go back because I know if you listen to that message from Emily, you're going to end up saying like this, this is the most important thing I've ever heard in my life. And I hope and pray that on this last weekend in July, I think it's like July the 26th or something like that, 11.39 a.m., that by the time we're done, you'll also be able to say, this was important, this was a great time together. In 1994, at a Greyhound racing track in North Carolina, an event occurred that actually sent the psychological world into a tailspin. The day had been normal all the way up until race number 16. In race number 16, there were six dogs that were poised to run as they'd always run. And their long, slender greyhound bodies were poised to chase their goal, the ever-elusive mechanical rabbit. Somebody said that my rabbit looked spooky, so I apologize for that. And if there's kids watching at home, uh, a bunch of them actually, I invited them last night. If you draw me a picture of, your, of, of my rabbit and then send it to me, that would be awesome. And the best picture, I'll send you the rabbit because I'm not sure I want it in my office. Okay, anyway, these six greyhounds took off after the gun sounded, chasing the rabbit, and they ran their hearts out, and then it happened. The rabbit mechanism actually malfunctioned, and the dogs caught the rabbit. Pandemonium ensued, and the muzzle dogs went nuts trying to eat the rabbit. They attacked the rabbit, shredded the rabbit, and came away with nothing but a mouthful of fuzz. Here's why the psychological world got turned upside down. Of the six dogs that ran that day, four never ran again. One dog actually died several days after the race. And one other dog named Tracer was taken home by his owner. Her name was Deborah Branch. She cared for him and tried to reach out to him. And months later in a psychological journal, she wrote this. She said, Tracer came home and sat in the corner with a dazed and glassy look on his little dog face. I tried to pat him twice. He bit me both times. I tried to walk him, but he didn't want to walk. I tried to feed him, but he snubbed me. I came home one day to find every stuffed animal in the house ripped to shreds. Tracer had fuzz hanging from his mouth. It was awful. Our dog psychologist, apparently that's an actual thing, told us that if Tracer could talk, this is what he would say. He would say, you lied to me. I chased a rabbit for you and it wasn't real. It was never real. You lied to me. I've been chasing a fake rabbit my whole life and I am absolutely crushed. What a way to live, right? To chase something your whole life, thinking that that's what you want and then when you finally catch it, it's not tasty, it's not filling, it's not even warm. It's empty. And I imagine Tracer 
felt a little bit like Daryl Pauls of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Daryl was a tree topper by trade. Apparently that's a thing too. He spent his days finding trees that were marked by the forestry department, marked with an X so they could be brought down in order to preserve the greater forest. It was dangerous work, but Daryl loved it. One day, uh, Daryl located the familiar big orange X and began to scale the tree with his chainsaw in tow. He climbed the tree, took off the top 30 feet, and then found himself dangling over 100 feet in the air. After he took off the top 30 feet, Daryl shifted his wrap strap that was actually holding him to the tree, only he shifted it too much and it slipped over the edge. Daryl flipped to the outside of the strap and then like a human pinball began to fall all the way down the tree. Onlooker said Daryl must have hit the tree 200 times as he fell like a human plinko chip. Miraculously, Daryl actually hit the tree so many times it slowed his fall and he landed on the ground bruised and completely skinned from head to toe but not with a single broken bone. And after the fall, Daryl told several friends this. He said the fall was not nearly as painful as the moment when he opened his eyes to see the orange mark on the tree next to the one that he had fallen from. Right, forest, Wrong tree. And that's kind of the way life is sometimes, isn't it? You know, we pursue what we think is the goal of our life. We doggedly chase every elusive dream. We climb the highest obstacles only to find out that when we finally catch it, catch it or land at the bottom of it, that we've been chasing something fake the entire time. I can remember back to a season in ministry when my spiritual walk was just not what I wanted to be. I'd been doing ministry for years, and yet I still ended up in my office asking God a question. Is this really all there is? Is this it? I felt like I knew a lot about God, but I didn't really know God. I felt like I was doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. I felt like the Bible was just words on the page, and I felt like my prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. There was a lot of talking, almost no listening, and a lot of deafening silence. And I asked God, is this all there is? And God answered my prayer with a simple statement. Almost exactly what happened last weekend is Emily welcomed us into one of those warm, intimate moments where we give God an opportunity to talk. And I felt in that moment that this is what God said to me. You've been pursuing all right, but you're just pursuing all the wrong things. I need you to come after me. I don't want you to know about me. I want you to actually know me. I'm not fake and you can't possibly go up the wrong tree because I'm always going to lead you to the right one if you will actually follow me. That prompted some questions this past week. I talked to a group of people and I asked them this question. What's your response when you hear the word religion? Here's where some of the words that came up repeatedly. Cold, exclusive, elusive, Empty, ritual, frustrating, rote memory, boring, and fake. It's just like, wow, where do I sign up for something like that, right? And when I was in that disillusioned season of my life, that's exactly what I felt. Webster defines religion as this. It's adhering to a system of belief. And that's how I felt. I felt like I was adhering to a belief system. I wasn't in a relationship. I was just doing the stuff of faith, but I wasn't living a life of faith. I was learning a lot about God, but I wasn't actually knowing God. I was becoming very, very religious, and I was completely neglecting the relationship that God wanted. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about two men who come to the temple to pray. They both want to connect with God. One walks away with the burden of sin lifted off of his life and the other one just runs into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. 
Here's what the story says. Jesus says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Now let's just stop there for just a second because we all do that. We look down on people because they do or don't wear a mask. We look down on people because they're not pursuing the same cause that we want them to pursue, our cause. We look down on people because they vote that way instead of my way, which is, of course, the righteous way, right? So I I think just with this introduction, we can all learn something from this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then I can picture Jesus pausing and looking over this crowd that thought they had it all together. And he says, I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, meaning the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's just dive into the story. We find two men. They're both looking for spiritual contact. And Jesus cuts through all of their issues. One of them is in the right forest, but he's looking for the wrong tree. The other is also in the same forest and he finds a tree that changes his life forever. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Before we get to the struggle between religion and relationship, let's just look at the players in this little drama. Jesus has this long and colorful relationship with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious experts of the day. They were the keepers of the gate and the setters of the bar. In their mind, they had figured out the equation of religion, and they were the self-appointed judges of everyone else's attempts to perform. They believed they had arrived. They thought they had it all figured out. And all you needed to do was ask them, and they would absolutely convince you. They were more than happy to tell you how they had reached what they thought was God's standard and how far short you were falling. I once described the Pharisees to a group of middle school kids and one of them piped up and said, oh, you mean pastors, Grant? I'm like, yeah, thank you very much. Jesus and the Pharisees didn't get along. They were constantly sparring back and forth. The Pharisees would say, the law says an eye for an eye. And Jesus said, yeah, that's true. But if you really want to get it right, try returning evil with good. The Pharisees would say, it's what you do. Jesus would say, actually, it's who you are. The Pharisees would say, abstain from murder and adultery. And Jesus would say, absolutely. But don't neglect the lust in your mind and the hatred in your heart. Whatever they said, Jesus would take a step further. They would say, you know, to really know God, you just have to follow the Ten Commandments. And Jesus would say, the Ten Commandments are fantastic. But if you really want to know God, take it another step further. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The Pharisees actually thought they had the first part of that down. Boy, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'll tell you what, it's really, really difficult to love your neighbor when they never meet your standard. So Jesus was constantly taking the Pharisees to task because they were hooked into the letter of the law, totally missed the spirit of the law. He wanted them to see that, that, that they, could have, they could have all of the rules down and miss heaven by about 18 inches because they kept missing 
the mark. And it's easy for us to put the Pharisees in a category and say, yeah, they were very judgmental, but we all judge from time to time, don't we? Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when we need to judge. We need to discern so that we can navigate through life with Jesus at our side. But let's be honest. All of us at times tip over into the realm of unhealthy judgment or ungodly judgment. It happens all the time. I caught myself judging the other day when a lady butted in front of me in the express line at the grocery store. I mean, for the love of God, there's a sign that says 10 item limit and she cut in front of me with 17 items. I knew there were 17 items because I counted every single one of the items in her cart. I judged her as rude. I judged her mathematical ability to count. I even began to judge the nutritional value of the food inside of her cart. You know why? Because I was playing by the rules. I had nine items and I was already in line. In his book, 12 Steps for a Recovering Pharisee Like Me, John Fisher gives these words of wisdom to any human being who's ever judged another human being. Number one, put yourself in their place. And number two, for the love of God, give people the benefit of the doubt. What if that lady had actually just found out that her husband had a heart attack and she was doing the best she could to fill the refrigerator in anticipation of knowing she was going to have to be caring for him, giving him her full attention for several weeks. What if the guy who cut me off on the way to work was actually on the way to the birth of his first child? What if by some chance the lady in the grocery line just didn't see me and she just innocently ended up in the wrong line? I mean, when I think that way, my life is so much easier and richer because instead of that person being a bother or an inconvenience to me, they're actually a human soul that Jesus loved enough to die for. Pharisees never let themselves have that perspective. They only saw themselves. And that's why we find this man bragging about himself in the temple and looking with contempt towards this other man hiding in the shadows. This weekend, I want to just briefly give you five reasons why a relationship with God is so much better than religion. And they can all be found inside of this little parable. Principle number one is this. Religion is rule-centered while relationship is principle-centered. So I grew up in a family, in a church, where, where there were actual rules about church attendance. Good people went to church on Sunday morning. Holy people went to church at Sunday school and on Sunday morning. Saints went to church, in addition, on Sunday night. And I'll tell you what, if you also attended the Wednesday night prayer meeting, you could apply for the Church Attendance Hall of Fame. I mean, that was the kind of rules that there were. People's spirituality was judged by the number of times they showed up in church every single weekend. Imagine my surprise and my shock when I stumbled into a group of people whose relationship with God was more defined by the people they connected with outside of church than by the number of times they gathered inside of a building. Now, don't get me wrong. The principles the church is good for you. I'm glad you're watching today. I am so glad that you're here. And I know for some of you, many of you, this is not easy. I mean, there are, there's kids in the room and you're doing your best to manage church and them. There's distractions. There's so many other options. I mean, the sun is outside and yet you're still in your home, in your car, at a coffee shop and we're watching together. The question though is still this. Why are you here today? Wherever here is. Are you there because you just so desperately wanted to meet with God? Or are you there because that's what's expected? 
Did you come because you love to worship God or because those are the rules? Did you come because you actually want an opportunity to have God transform your heart and maybe even get the opportunity to watch somebody else's heart be transformed even if it's in your own living room? I mean, did you come because you wanted to share an experience with other flawed people who need Jesus just as much as you do? Or are you here because that's just the way you're supposed to do this thing called Christianity? You know, I'll tell you, religious pursuit of rules that gets really old really fast. Relational pursuit of Jesus just gets richer as time goes by. Why? Because religion is a matter of the actions and the behavior. Relationship is a matter of the heart. Centuries ago, the Prince of Grenada was sentenced to a life of solitary confinement in a prison outside of Madrid called the Place of the Skull. They called it that because no one ever came out alive. For 30 years, the Prince of Grenada was under solitary confinement. His only companion was a Bible. And after more than 30 years, alone in that prison cell, the Prince of Grenada died and they went in to clean out his cell. And what they found was that the walls were completely covered in these little tiny scratchings. A closer look revealed years upon years upon years of Bible study notes. Some of the scratchings read Psalm 118, verse 8 is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 721 contains all the letters of the alphabet except for the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible. No word or name of more than six syllables can be found in the entire Bible. Think about this for just a second. The prince of Grenada had the key to the door to eternity and he missed it because he turned it into Bible trivia. He had an opportunity to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe and instead he turned it into a group of systematic rules and covered his walls with trivia. It was right there in front of him and he missed it. Right forest, wrong tree. That's why Jesus takes the Pharisees to task in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You give a tenth, but you've neglected the more important matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So for all of us today, religion is always, it's rule-centered, while relationship is principle-centered. Principle number two, religion looks on the external while relationship focuses on the internal. Famous verses in 1 Samuel 16. The Bible says, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I know this may freak some of you out, but God can actually see beyond your mask today. He can see beyond mine too. We can't fake God out, so why do we spend so much energy trying to? God says, no, I look right in the middle of your heart all the time. I took a missions trip to Chicago in 1992, and every night as a group, we would go to Lincoln Park and feed a group of homeless families who were living in the park. And that's where I met a friend by the name of Harvey. Harvey uh, did not have the best hygiene, but he was the kindest man that I believe I've ever met. He spent every evening looking after the people in his park. He had a great heart and a better understanding of Jesus that I, that, that, that I will ever have. I mean, I, I, for some reason, and I don't exactly know why, but I judged Harvey. I judged Harvey to be a very simple man. And then I was shocked one day to find out that Harvey was actually one of the lead developers on the guidance system for the cruise missile. And he still had his military ID card to prove it. 
I judged Harvey on the condition of his clothes and the choice of his address. I completely missed the point because of my standards. I wasn't willing to look on his heart. The Bible says that God always looked at the innermost parts, and he sees everything. That's why he would take the Pharisees to task with words like this. He called them whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're absolutely dead. Jesus begs us to follow his heart. He knew that religion will look at the surface of the skin, but a relationship with God will always look at the depth of relationship within a person's soul. Principle number three, religion looks at me while relationship looks at him. The story of the Pharisee uses some interesting words. It opens by saying this. It says, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. It was all about him. Last weekend when Emily was here and invited us into one of those intimate moments where we got to to sit close, heart to heart with Jesus himself and allow him to speak words into our life and heart. What I loved about all of the stories that I got was very few people mentioned anything about themselves. It was all about the Jesus who showed up. The Jesus who spoke. The Jesus who pronounced blessing. The Jesus who took old wounds and crumpled them up and threw them away. The Jesus who stepped towards into a more intimate place of relationship. It was so beautiful to hear how he was the focal point of those beautiful, intimate conversations. There's so much we could learn from that. I think one of the takeaways is simply this. Whenever you have an opportunity to share about God, never talk about all the things you've done for him. Focus on everything he's done for you. That will keep him in the center of the relationship and not allow it to become about you and the things that you are doing. Principle number four, religion is exclusive while relationship is inclusive. Now I know the word inclusive is very, um, it's very misunderstood in our culture today. Let me unpack it just a little bit. I'm always amazed how religious people can quickly exclude those who don't fit the mold, right? If they don't look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, then they don't, they never achieve acceptance, That's not the way Jesus acted with people. Jesus broke rules. He reached out and touched sick people, the disenfranchised, the marginalized. He broke the societal religious rules about who he was supposed to hang out with, who he was supposed to have dinner with, who he was supposed to take with him on a walk. He just wanted every person to know that they were deeply loved by God. In my home church growing up, I had a middle school, Sunday school teacher by the name of Franklin McDowell. Franklin was a rule breaker. Franklin was in his 70s when he started to teach our class, and the truth is this. We made his life horrible. I mean, horrible, right? He would teach, and we would goof off. He would ask questions we never answered with the right answers. I mean, and honestly, I thought this old guy's nuts, but he also changed my life. Franklin never taught us about religion. He always modeled for us relationship. He loved Jesus so much and he wanted to share him so badly. And his dream for that group of middle school boys is that each and every one of us would, have to, would end up at some point at the base of the right tree, the cross of Jesus, asking for forgiveness. He prayed for us. 
and modeled his relationship right in front of us. And I didn't see it at the time, but boy, I see it now. Franklin had every reason to push us away. I mean, we were disrespectful and rude. And the rules say it, right? 70-year-old guys should not be teaching middle school, Sunday school. But Franklin didn't listen to those rules. Instead, he just kept bringing us back to the Jesus that he loved. I have a book on my shelf to this day that I still cherish. Franklin gave it to me when I left for Bible college. On the inside cover, it says, to my Timothy. Now, some of you are confused because my name's Grant. <laughs> the Apostle Paul had a young protege by the name of Timothy. And Paul spent his life pouring into this young man, showing him how sweet a relationship with Jesus could be. Franklin showed me that religion always pushes away, but relationship always draws towards. That's why Jesus took the Pharisees to task when he said this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Religion, it always draws a circle and tries to keep people out. A relationship with God opens a doorway and says, why don't you step into this relationship too? Principle number five. Religion reacts with judgment. Boy, we've seen that already, haven't we? While relationship always responds with grace. The Apostle Paul actually used to be a Pharisee before Jesus interrupted his life. And after God got a hold of his life, here's what Paul wrote. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with I'm just amazed at the two prayers. Here comes the Pharisee bragging about his spiritual resume and the Bible says that he completely misses it. And over in the corner is a man who is broken in his sinfulness, a tax collector with a horrible reputation and all he can get out is God be merciful to me a sinner. I want to remind you of something. The second he answered, or actually spoke that prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner, God actually shifted his identity and he no longer ever was identified as a sinner. Instead, he was identified as a dearly loved child of the most high God. You are not defined by the worst of what you uh, have done. You are defined by who God says that you are. And every time he looks at you, he's like, that is my son. That is my daughter. This man who was so broken he couldn't even bring himself to look to heaven touched the heart of God with his humility and his honesty and the cry of his heart and it took him to a place of intimate relationship and connection with the God who loved him. God didn't give a rip about the Pharisee's resume. He took him to the base of the wrong tree but he loved the resume of this broken man he said, God, I need your mercy and your grace. You know, I often think about what Jesus was thinking about when he told this story. I wonder if he was thinking into the future about the millions upon millions of times that he would respond when a broken human being would come to him and say, God, be merciful to me. I wonder if he was thinking about those moments when he would hang on the right tree 
the cross of Jesus. I wonder if he was thinking ahead to those moments when he would take all of the sin of the world that had been committed, was committed, and was going to be committed, and when he took it on his perfect life, I wonder if he was thinking ahead to that moment, to his response when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. I wonder if he was thinking ahead to time after time after time when broken people would come to him and beg for mercy. I wonder if he was thinking to what his response was always going to be. Yes. Yes. I wonder if he was thinking forward to the moment when he would lay his life down just so we didn't have to settle for religion but instead could actually grab a hold of this beautiful thing called relationship. That kind of love is powerful when you're willing to lay down your life for someone. One of my favorite parts of being a pastor is doing weddings. I actually love doing that. I had a bunch on the books and they've all had to be canceled or reshuffled or, or, or changed because of the COVID season that we find ourselves in. But I love getting to know couples. I love watching them come into my office together and we talk about finances and romance and future planning and children and dealing with in-laws and conflict resolution. And if they're really young, they kind of look at each other with these rose-colored glasses and they think, you know, you're perfect. And then they think, I'm actually perfect too. This is gonna be perfect. And I'm like, let's book your, pre- let's book your counseling now. You know, you're gonna need it in about three years. But I have this moment in every ceremony that I've done, as far back as I can remember, when I put the groom completely on the spot. And I actually use this language. And if you've ever been to a wedding I've done, you know this to be true. If you're a couple that I've done a wedding for, you know this to be true. Now it's a spoiler alert. So if, if I get to do your wedding now, you know, you'll know what's coming. But I, I look at the groom and this is what I say. I'm gonna ask you a question. If you get the answer wrong, I'm leaving and you're gonna have to find someone else to do your wedding. And they get this little bit of a shock look on their face. And then I ask this question. If it came down to a choice, between your life and her life, would you die for her? I've seen some beautiful responses to that question. Most of them go along the lines of something like this. If that's what it took to prove how much I loved her, I would do it in a second. And then I always tell the bride, I want you to take what just happened You heard another human being said they were willing to die for you. I want you to take that and tuck it way down deep in your heart because somewhere down the road, you're gonna need that memory to bring you back to this moment when relationship was defined by laying your life down for someone that you love. Jesus modeled that. Jesus lived that. He didn't just talk about it. He did that. Why? Because he didn't want us to settle for religion. He actually wanted a relationship with us. Some of you are watching right now and, and, and you're really tired of this religious part of your life. I got really good news for you. So is God. He's just tired of it too. He doesn't want your attendance record, your tithing record, or your journal of service. He just wants you. And when you truly give yourself to him, an amazing thing happens. All of the have-tos have turn into get-tos. I don't have to serve anymore, I get to. <laughs> I don't have to do church, I get to. 
I don't have to give. I get to because God gave everything. When you have moments like that, you actually end up at the base of the right tree, the cross of Jesus over and over and over again. And you quickly find it's the most beautiful, safe place for one of God's children. So my prayer today is that we will all exchange a series of check boxes. I'm doing this, 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 and this for God. And instead, that we would exchange it for a relationship with God that actually feels like the kind of friendship that God so desperately wants, both with us and for us. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a moment together of prayer. I'm gonna invite you right now, wherever you are, just to close your eyes and I'm gonna invite you to go back to the place, that safe place that Emily talked about last weekend. And as you're there, I want you to, I want you to turn around and I want you to see Jesus coming towards you. And because you already know what, the, what he wants more than anything is relationship and not religion, I'd like to invite you to just be there with him. Experience his peace and his love. And then I'd invite you to sit down and you're gonna ask Jesus a question. And then we're gonna give you just a moment to actually listen to his response. I want you to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what do you want for our relationship this coming week? And let's just listen to what he has to say. As you continue to pray, I'd love to be so bold as to share what Jesus said to me. What he wanted for our relationship this week is that I would trust him more. That I would trust him. That I would trust him with my wife and my kids. That I would trust him with his plan and his purpose in this season. I would trust him with all because it's all his. God, thank you for taking the pressure of having to perform for you off. That's just religion. God, thank you instead for allowing us to experience your presence. God, we know you're speaking, so give us ears to hear. God, thank you for a safe place at the foot of your cross. May we never neglect your heart or your words to us, personally, individually. And God, thank you so much that you want a relationship with each and every one. May we pursue that this week. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.